Oh, you're back. Welcome back to class. I hope you're ready to learn today, because now is the time. Welcome back to Autism and Education, Science and Me. I am your host, Thomas Herrera. What is the topic today? Today on Autism and Education, Science and Me, our topic is Autism 101, Autism Basics. Today, we are going to first define autism, describe its history and its levels, discuss some classical autistic symptoms, discuss the major controversy about autism, and finish with pros and cons of this disorder. So, sit back and relax. Take out a notepad and pencil, and listen to Autism 101. Let's begin our crash course on autism. Let's begin with a full disclosure. I am not an expert on autism. I am not a doctor, and I have no medical license. I am not capable of diagnosing anyone of anything, autism or otherwise, and anything I describe should be further analyzed yourself. All this information was researched thoroughly through various scientific journals and websites. If you need a diagnosis, seek a neurologist or talk to your doctor. As an educator, I often say, seek out the experts. Okay, moving on. So, autism comes from the Greek word autos, meaning self. We hear that word thrown around a lot, but how prevalent is it? How many people can have autism? Is there a difference between genders? Well, let's tackle some of these questions before we begin. So, both genders have been known to have autism, but it's not in the same amount. Boys are more likely to have autism than girls are, with a ratio of 4 to 1 male to female. So, boys are more likely to have autism, and some scientists, they think that this is because autism is a lot harder to diagnose in girls than it is in boys. But... Even with this ratio of 4 to 1, how many people are we actually talking about? How many people really have autism? Well, a study in 2016 says that 1 in 54 children in the U.S. had autism. 1 in 54. This is about 18.5 out of 1,000 children. According to the United States Census Bureau, The U.S. population on April 15, 2020 was 329,519,667, rounding up to about 330 million. About a quarter of these, about 24%, 79,200,000 people, were children, ages 18 and below. If we keep the statistic proposed in 2016, and we apply it to when this calculation was performed, 1,466,666 children have autism. That's a lot of children. So, we know over a million kids have autism. But how do we define autism? 
It depends on who you ask, but most definitions describe basically the same thing. The National Institute of Mental Health defines autism spectrum disorder, or ASD, as a developmental disorder that affects communication and behavior. The American Psychiatric Association defines ASD as having difficulty communicating and interacting with other people, having restricted interests and repetitive behaviors, and other symptoms that prevent people from functioning properly in schoolwork and other areas of life. Did you hear the quotation marks on properly? I hope you did. It was scripted. This is also described in their Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM-5. Another paper defines autism as a pervasive developmental disorder, PDD, that is characterized by three core deficits, impaired communication, impaired social interactions, and restricted-slash-repetitive patterns of behavior and interests. Are you noticing a pattern in these definitions? Each definition described basically issues in either communication and or restricted and repetitive behavior. ASD is also a spectrum, meaning that there is a wide range of symptoms represented by ASD. In addition, not everyone who has ASD exhibits the same exact symptoms. Over time, the types of ASD have changed. So, bear with me, let's go back into the past, and here is a brief history of autism diagnosis. Starting in 1943, an American psychiatrist named Leo Kanner used the term early infantile autism to describe children who lacked interest in other people. The next year, an Austrian pediatrician, Hans Osberger, independently described another group of children that had similar behaviors, but were less severe and had higher intellectual abilities when compared to Kanner's group. The work of Hans later became known as Asperger syndrome. In the 1980s, skipping up a little bit, the term pervasive disorders were first used. Over the years, ASD included the following five conditions, as described by the DSM-IV. Autistic disorder, Asperger's disorder, Rett's disorder, childhood disintegrative disorder, and pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, PDD-NOS. In 2013, with the revamp of the manual from DSM-4 to DSM-5, the criteria for ASD was further changed. Now, ASD combines autistic disorder, Asperger's disorder, childhood disintegrative disorder, and PDD-NOS into one category. Rett syndrome was excluded as it was considered a different neurological disorder entirely. Oh wait, autism and Asperger's I've heard of. But what are the other two? So, Childhood Disintegrative Disorder, or CDD, or Heller Syndrome, is a rare condition of three or more years of developmental delays in language, social function, and motor skills. Some characteristics include regression of receptive and expressive language skills, 
including understanding language and spoken language, respectively. And also, you know, reduce social skills or adaptive behaviors. Other characteristics include abnormal functioning in restricted, repetitive, and stereotyped behavior, an inability to start and maintain conversations, and or impaired nonverbal behaviors. Rett syndrome is a genetic neurological disorder occurring almost exclusively in the female population that leads to severe impairments that affect nearly every aspect of the child's life, including the ability to speak, walk, eat, and breathe easily. All cut up? Cool. We mentioned earlier the difference between autism and Asperger's syndrome. ASD has various levels as described by the DSM-5. The following levels are as follows in least severity to most severity. Level 1, requiring support. Level 2, requiring substantial support. And level 3, requiring very substantial support. Level 1 individuals have difficulty initiating social interactions, and their problems of organization and planning hamper their independence. Their inflexibility of behavior causes significant interference in one or more aspects of their life. Level 2 individuals have limited initiation of social interactions and reduced or abnormal responses to social interactions. Their restricted-slash-repetitive behaviors interfere with most areas of life. Level 3 individuals have severe deficits in verbal and nonverbal social communication. This means they have an extremely limited initiation of social interactions and minimal responses to social interactions. Their restricted-slash-repetitive behaviors interfere with all areas of their life and they have great distress when things change, and they have extreme difficulty coping with change. Okay, let's take a step back and review these levels and what they mean in common lingo. So, the least severe level is level 1, requiring support. Level 1 individuals have mild autism, and they may struggle in social situations. They can communicate verbally, and have meaningful relationships with others. However, they may have problems maintaining conversations and keeping friends. They have restricted and repetitive behaviors that they stick to. They feel uncomfortable when disrupted. The middle range would be level two requiring substantial support. Level two individuals may or may not communicate verbally. If they do communicate verbally, the conversations are short and are usually focused on specific topics. They may also have trouble maintaining eye contact, expressing emotion, and showing facial expressions. They have established routines and habits that they must complete. If these habits are interrupted, they become extremely uncomfortable or upset. The most severe is level 3, requiring very substantial support. Level 3 individuals have their entire lives impacted by their behaviors and communication. They have significant difficulty with social communication and social skills. Most do not communicate verbally, but some can. They struggle with unexpected events and are either overly or undersensitive to sensory stimuli. Hey, congratulations! You are now halfway through our crash course. 
It's all downhill from here. So, what do we do in the first half? We listed the levels and definitions of autism. So, what are some classic symptoms? There are many symptoms of ASD. I will divide them into social behaviors and the restricted and repetitive behaviors. Neurotypical people understand the basic rules of having a proper conversation. You know, maintain proper eye contact, pay attention to those who are speaking, try not to interrupt, and respond when called. Those with ASD may struggle with all of these. They may not pay attention when their name is called, or not even look you in the eye. They may also have trouble following the conversation, including pauses between speech, whose turn it is to talk, etc. Young children like to share their interests. Young children may share their toys or point out objects to get your attention. It's a bonding technique that you may not experience with ASD individuals. This is a bonding technique that you may not experience with ASD individuals. Another bonding technique is conversation. ASD individuals can often talk at great length about topics they are interested in, but they fail to notice others' disinterest in that subject. They may not give others a chance to respond either. These conversations are more of a monologue than a dialogue. They will also have trouble understanding someone else's viewpoint or predict other people's actions. They may be surprised why someone acts a certain way or be unable to follow someone's next move. Okay, now let's talk about the restrictive and repetitive behaviors they exhibit as well. ASD individuals may repeat certain or unusual behaviors. They may eat at the same time every day, wake up at the same time every day, or go to bed at the same time every day. They may perform the same ritual every day without fail. So some examples of these are counting the same things every day, rubbing the same stone every day, organizing things, etc. ASD individuals will become upset when their routines are changed, even slightly. They may also have a lasting interest in certain topics such as cars, animals, or sports. And they will learn new topics in great detail. They may also have a lasting interest in certain topics such as cars, animals, or sports, and learn new topics in great detail and remember that information for long periods of time. Finally, they may be more or less sensitive to external stimuli, you know, such as sound, smell, sight, texture, etc. ASD individuals are also known for having meltdowns. A meltdown is described as an intense response to overwhelming situations. They occur because individuals are completely overwhelmed by the current situation. And this results in a loss of temporary control that is expressed either verbally, physically, or both. Meltdowns can be considered analogous to the cries of a baby or child. It's the same raw emotion. So, let's take a step to the side for a second. As I stated at the beginning of this podcast, I am not an expert in this field. I am not qualified to diagnose anyone of anything. If you want to understand more about the classic symptoms, please research for yourself. Okay. Autism is a complex syndrome that we have heard a lot lately. You know, it's becoming more and more common as we are getting better and better at diagnosing. But 
there is still one major case of misinformation that is being further spread and spread that is not helping anyone. Any guesses what I'm talking about? I am, of course, talking about vaccines and autism. I am talking about the mistaken belief that vaccines cause autism. As someone who is autistic, and as someone who has been vaccinated, I really think this link is stupid. Vaccines do not cause autism, and even if they did, it's not the end of the world. If vaccines truly cause autism, and my loving parents in an attempt to inoculate me from various deadly diseases actually gave me my autism, I would not hold it against them at all. I am still alive. I am not diseased, and I am well protected from viruses and other harmful bacteria. I think having autism is a small price to pay if I am going to remain alive. Truly ask yourself this, which is worse, having a child with mental issues or having a dead child? To me, as an educator, as someone who has autism, as someone who works with kids, I would rather have an entire class of 30 kids with various mental disorders than having an entire class of 30 dead kids. There is no comparison. No debate. So, what is this link? Where did it originate? The controversy started in 1998, when a paper published by a man named Andrew Wakefield and 12 others linked the MMR vaccine to autism. What did the paper actually say or do? Well, Wakefield measured 12 children who received the measles, mumps, and or rubella vaccinations. 67% or 8 of the 12 children showed behavior symptoms that were similar to autism. Now, this would be a big deal, except for a few small issues. Since the paper's publication, the findings were revisited, as all good science does. In 2004, 10 of the 12 co-authors retracted the paper because they feared the paper could damage public health efforts. Three years earlier, Britain, Japan, and Finland all found no connection between the MMR shots and autism. Not only that, it was revealed that Wakefield committed several breaches of ethics. First, he cherry-picked his data and only showed data he wanted to show. Some of the children he selected in the experiment were a part of a lawsuit against MMR. Wakefield was paid for his advisory work on the same lawsuit. He also had a patent for a competing vaccine being developed. These are all big no-no's. These are all things that scientists do not do in their work. Another paper published in 2011 described other violations that Wakefield committed during the study. In addition to financial interest, such as the lawsuit, he also violated ethics too. He conducted invasive investigations on the 12 children in his study without ethical clearances. The paper also found out that he misrepresented his findings in addition to his cherry-picked data. Now, all of these reasons are clear violations of scientific practices and ethics. It's no wonder the paper was attracted. The findings did not fit the correct way of science. Wakefield clearly had an agenda to prove vaccines called autism. But people still told this paper as proof of their claims, completely disregarding the fact that the paper was attracted. However, 
in an attempt to provide devil's advocate, maybe this is not enough information to come into. Well, maybe this will. In 2014, there was a large study that performed a deep dive into the literature and the findings. This paper looked at the vaccines that were rumored to give autism, such as measles, mumps, rubella vaccines, and other vaccines that contained thimiserol, such as diphthera, tetanus, or pertussis vaccines. I probably butchered all of this. This massive study looked at 46 papers, including five cohort studies, that involved 1,256,407 children and five case control studies involving 9,920 people. If you're unfamiliar with the terms cohort study and case control study, let me catch you up. A cohort study is any study that investigates the causes of disease and establishes any link between the risk factors and health outcomes. A case control study is a study that is designed to determine if an exposure is associated with an outcome or if a treatment leads to a disease. So this 2014 study that looked at 46 different scientific papers determined the following. The cohort data revealed no relationship between vaccination and autism, ASD, MMR, famariserol, or mercury. The case control study showed no evidence for any increased risk of developing autism or ASD after being exposed to MMR, mercury, or famiserol. I'm still probably saying that incorrectly, but again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm going to continue. This large study involving 1,266,327 people, close to the predicted amount of people who have ASD in the U.S., by the way, showed that there's no link between vaccinations and autism. The vaccines containing mercury, MMR, famiserol, will not lead to the development of autism. Let me say it one more time. There is no link between autism and vaccinations. Think back to the first part of the segment. Which would you rather have? A dead child or a child with some mental issues? I am not a parent, I'm just an educator, but really, I don't think there's a contest. Okay, I've been talking too much. Let's wrap this up. Before I leave you, what are some pros and cons of autism? Negative first, then positive. There are quite a few cons of autism, unfortunately. Those with ASD may be difficult to take outside because of the many sounds, smells, and sights they see. The stimuli outside may be more than they can take. ASD individuals have a hard time expressing themselves. They cannot accurately describe why they are upset or what's even bothering them. This makes getting along with others very, very difficult. ASD individuals must repeat themselves all day long. To people who do not like monotony, this can be taxing, boring, and limiting. When you are stuck doing the same thing repeatedly, you rarely reach your full potential. Everyone wants their child to be the best that they can be. Sadly, sadly, people with ASD have one more hurdle to jump over. But the pros are just as numerous. Those with ASD are often predictable. You always know where they are at any given time of day. After all, 
ASD individuals are predictably predictable. ASD individuals are often very smart. They usually have one or several fields of information that they love. They read many things about it and often study it religiously. They're like mini experts in these areas. It makes learning easier for them in these areas. So, to sum up, ASD is a complex process, but it's really interesting when you sit down and look into it. Next time on Autism and Education, Science and Me, our topic will be Autism 102, Causes and Behaviors. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening, guys. At times, the stream of consciousness of an autistic person can be hard to follow, but keep in mind, we try our best to learn and adapt. I hope today's topic brought more insight into the mind of other people. Thanks for tuning in. Please give a like, comment, and share with your friends. I hope you engage in others about the wonders of autism, education, and science. Until next time, have a good day.